This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Chuck Ford and Relate Church in Byron, Mississippi. For more information, please visit RelateChurch.com. Leaders here with me. Um, they're not all the leaders that we took, but there's just a few of them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them introduce themselves, just kind of tell you uh, how long they've been going to this camp or two camps, and then uh, we'll get into some testimonies. Um, my name is Sarah Kane, and I have been attending camp for eight years, um, five years as a camper, and then three years. This is my third year as a leader. Y'all can clap for them. It's okay. My name is Lexi Hatton. I've actually only been going to camp decision for two years, my last year as a camper, and then this was my first year as a leader. Uh, my name is My name is John McCoy. Uh, I've been going to camp. I went five years as a student and two years as a leader, so seven years in total. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Sarah, you were able to, they had you assigned as a photographer. Everybody's given a job uh, when they get there. And so hers was as a photographer. So you were able to document not just like our students, but overall kind of the whole camp and services. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, this year was my first year to be a photographer, and last year I was a team leader, so it was really different. I didn't know what to expect going into it, um, but I was really thankful that I was given the opportunity um, because it really made me love God more than I did before I went. And I have said it a hundred times, I loved being a camper, but more and more, like every year that I go as a leader, I fall more in love with God and I fall more in love with youth and being in ministry. And it was really a beautiful thing to be able to document the miracles that God did through not only our students, but the youth of today. And it was so humbling to see, to be able to be a part of students when they look back at pictures, they're going to be able to look at that picture and be like, that was the moment that God set me free, that my chains fell, that my you know, bondage was broken, everything that, like, it was, like, in that moment that God met me and said, I love you for who you are, here I am, you know, and so it was really, really beautiful to be a part of that, and so, yeah. All right, Lexi, um, this was your first year as a leader, and so uh, contrasting that kind of with being a student, what was the difference there and uh, in that experience? It's a hard one. <laughs> um, no. I loved, I definitely, definitely loved going to camp as a student and just getting to experience that because I've been to other camps before, but none like Camp Decision. And I was kind of nervous to go as a leader because I didn't know how to be a leader coming from being a student. And I felt like everybody was watching me and I was like, if I messed up one time, like, that was it. And... I definitely enjoyed being a leader way more than I enjoyed going as a camper because not only did I get to experience things like that myself, I got to help littler kids and younger teenagers experience the same thing. And there was a moment where they called everybody for who thought that they were called into ministry and they, I'm pretty sure they do it every year. But last year when I went as a camper, they had people pray over us and our futures and ministry and all of that stuff. And then this year, I kind of went down there expecting that. And then they sent kids to us to pray for. 
And so I was really put on the spot because I don't know the first thing about praying for somebody who doesn't tell me what they need prayer for. I've never done that. And it was kind of like, God, if you're going to you're going to work, you're going to work now, because I don't know what I'm supposed to say, I don't know what's about to happen, like, I don't know these people that are coming up to me, like, it was, it was nerve-wracking, and this, the first little girl that came up to me, I was a team leader, and she was on my team, and she came up to me one day, and she was crying, and I never really knew why, so I asked around about her, tried to figure out a little bit about her, and she was like, like, nobody knew anything about her, and she came up to me, in the line, and she said, I'm here because my eye hurts, and I was like, okay, like, that's okay, Mm -hmm. so I put my hands on her, I prayed for her eye, and something inside of me almost told me that it was way more than that, and so I started praying for her, and if I'm being honest, I can't even remember what I prayed for, like, I, I don't know what I told her, but it's like, as soon as I started talking to her, and like, praying over her, she just broke, and I went back after praying for a couple more little girls up to our youth group and where we were sitting, and I passed one of my new friends, because she's kind of new to the church, and I passed her, and something inside of me was like, you need to pray for her, and I don't know anything about her. I don't know where she came from, where she's going. I just met her, and so I gave her a hug and asked her if I could pray for her, and she said yes, and she... I started praying over her, and it was like one thing after another, like everything was hitting her different, and it was, she was crying, like she was bawling, and like there was, it came to the point where she couldn't even stand, and I think me putting my hands on somebody and being able to watch the Holy Spirit move through me and into that person so much to where they can't even stand is good enough for me to say that I want to go back next year as a leader. John, you've been going for a number. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> John, you've been going for a number of years with siblings as a leader, as a student. So what was what was it like this year and past years? What's what's kind of been your experience? Uh, going as a student, you receive so much. And then going as a leader, uh, your whole youth group is really like your siblings. You know, they you, you get to know all of them. Uh, you get to see them break out of their shells. But for me, I was actually an older sibling to three siblings and uh, who were all at camp. <laughs> and uh, it was something else to see God move in their lives. Uh, this year, uh, my younger brother Titus, he had stomach problems, and those were completely healed. So that was amazing. And then, uh, then my sister Grace, last year, she had uh, terrible back arthritis, and she couldn't even bend down. She, she if she stood too long, it hurt her back. If she sat too long, it hurt her back. And last year at camp, they laid hands on her, and that was completely healed. And then my sister, Sela, she uh, she had glasses. I mean, as thick as a wall. And <laughs> she had a lazy eye, and, I mean, she couldn't see. And they laid hands at her, laid hands on her at camp, completely healed. And just to see that in my own siblings' life, like these kids I grew up with, to see God move in their lives, was so special and then to also get to see God move in all of the youth lives and see them break out of their shells and see them just grow up as as kids uh, we watched several of the kids mature you, you'd be surprised how mature they get from one week just learning so much about God that's good let's give them a hand 
Thank you all for sharing that. Um, we've got a video here, a couple of students that gave their own testimonies. So if you all would just watch that with us. My name is Maylee. Uh, camp is great to me because it's just a time where you can meet with a bunch of people, like teenagers, who are around the same age, and you can just to have moments with God, and you can really relate to them more than you can like other people outside of camp and you can make lifelong friends. I've had four eye surgeries and was supposed to have more come, and I've had a lazy eye for 15 years, and it's always been really hard for me to see out of it, and my vision's just gotten worse, worse, and worse. Um, Pastor Kathy, she called for people who need healing in their right eye, who's had procedures maybe, so I went down to the, the stage and I had my eye prayed for it. On the way back up, I covered my left eye because I have a lazy eye on my right eye. And on the way up, I could see just about everything. It was almost perfectly clear. I've been believing for my right eye to be healed for quite a while now, and then at camp, in that moment, I just knew it was my time for my eye to be healed. I was told I was supposed to have uh, more surgeries to come. I don't see myself having any more surgeries. I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to go to camp because I really got to spend time with God and connect um, with Him, and also, uh, be able to make friends who also are connected with God. My name is Dylan Parker, and camp is great because you get to meet a lot of new people, you get to learn about God, and you get to help people learn about God. My spiritual connection with God was to get over the, my auntie that died, and it helped me. So my spirit connection was healing. And um, first I had to find God, and then I had to see that he was beside me all along. Also. God helped me see that I can help other people with God. Come on, let's give God some praise this morning. So thankful for, for what he's done and what he's doing in the lives of each and every one of these students. Um, and so we just wanted you to see a little bit of that so you would know uh, what, what this is all about, why it's so important. And in case you haven't met me, my name is Jared Limbaugh. I'm the student pastor here at Relate Church. And uh, 
Y'all don't have to clap for that, but go ahead. Okay, so uh, my wife and I, we've been members here for about six and a half years, and um, we were working in the children's ministry department for a while until I felt called to work with the students about three years ago, and I got the opportunity to go to Motion, which is a little different from camp. It's not as spiritual, uh, not as much hands-on. It's kind of more of a, a conference or a kind of a, uh, something to get you excited, but it was something amazing about seeing 14,000 students all worshiping God. In a generation that you might have thought didn't care anymore, these students did, and to see that made an impression on me. And they took us through these, these leadership courses, and one of the statistics that still stands out to me three years later, they said that 75% of students who graduate high school and go to college leave the local church. And they're no longer in the local church, and that's three out of four. So that means just one out of four stays in the local church after graduating high school. And I felt God impress on the inside of me, reverse it, reverse it, and make a way where they want to stay. They're not just connected to a youth group, they're connected to a church. And so you may wonder, like, why all these testimonies, why all this? It's because they're the generation of right now. They're part of our church right now. And not just these ages, uh, but the kids, they're in the back. They're not just playing games and things like that. They're doing that, okay? You know, we're giving away free pizza, but that's not all there is to it, okay? There's so much more to it. And them seeing that this past week or a couple weeks ago, it really just shows how much uh, this generation can really be attached and, um, and, and really encounter God in a way that's real. And so that's, that's the point of all of this. That's the reason all of this, we were showing you all of this and everything. So I didn't want the, the why to get lost in all of this. It's for them because they're the church of, of right now along with us. They're, they're growing and learning right along with us. Um, so I just want to welcome you first. If you're a note taker, they should have handed you some notes when you walked in. If you uh, have the Relate Church app, then the notes are in there under media. You can follow along there. They'll also be here on the screen. So if you don't have that, that's okay too. Um, the title or, or what I want to talk to you about today is the proximity of expectation. The proximity of expectation. And I want to open up in James chapter 4 verse 7. It says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, that's a whole other message right there. But what I want to focus on in, in verse 8, the A part of that, come close to God, and he will come close to you. Would y'all pray with me this morning? Father, we're so thankful for your word and just the opportunity to hear it and to experience your presence. We pray that you would just be with each person here, God. May, they, may their ears be open. May our hearts be open to everything you're having to say, not just them, but me as well, God, if there's anything uh, you want to say, I just pray that you would, you would speak to them in a way that only you can, and you can speak to each of us individually. And we thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you, um, have you ever had your expectations really high about something, and then you got there, or you saw the, the secret behind it, or the something behind it, and, and you were disappointed because you thought it was something Great. Magic tricks is one of those things. Uh, you find a guy, he catches a bullet in his mouth. You found out he just had it in his pocket and he transferred it to his mouth, you know, really quickly. And that's really all there is to it. It's really no big deal. Um, for movies, I think, are probably notorious for this. And they set your expectations really high. They'll have like a two-minute trailer. It's cut, edited. All the music is great. Everything's great. It seems like it's going to be the best experience of your life, a nonstop action ride. So you go and you buy the tickets, and it's like $60, and it's $200 for popcorn and Coke, and you go into the movie, 
you spend an hour and a half, two hours to have this experience, and then you realize all the best parts were in the trailer. And the movie overall was not that great. And so your expectations are not met. You're disappointed because you've wasted all this money. You wish you could get back, but unfortunately, monies don't give, movies don't give money back just because the movie's not that great. It's not the way it works. So now you've wasted all this money to have an experience that lets you down. And I feel like sometimes we put certain expectations on God, not because of what's in his word or anything he's told us, but because of our own thoughts and desires and will and what we want to get out of it. And so we're disappointed as a result and maybe even blame him or a little angry at him for it, even though it's really not his fault. And so I want to open today with a story from the Old Testament. Everybody say Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, um, I love it because I love all the stories in it. Uh, I, I grew up watching all these, and my, my father was a pastor, so uh, when we went to bed at night, if we wanted to watch anything, it had to be uh, about a Bible story, okay? And so I always watch these Bible stories, and so I love these stories. There's something uh, that attaches me to it, but there's moral lessons in it. It's not just a history lesson or just history, and then Jesus, you'll find, throughout the entire Bible was in it all along. The whole story is about him. It points to him. And so when I see this in the Old Testament, it's just amazing to know that God had a plan for us all along. And so I love these stories in it. Um, and even if you read like Leviticus and you see all the laws and all the things that people had to go through, you can get to the end and say, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to slaughter an animal to be forgiven of my sins or anything crazy like that because Jesus came and he made all of that better. And so, um, I mean, can you even imagine that today? The, the millennials would never get saved. And uh, I'm one. So I can tell you, I wouldn't want to do it. And so, you know, thank, thank you, Jesus, basically. So 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4 is, is where I want to open up. You're open your Bible with me. Um, I was going to say two places. Anybody knows Pastor Chuck keeps doing that? And I'm like, how do you... How do you open it in two places? I don't know. But uh, anyway, so to set this up, though, to give you a little background, this is about Elijah. Now, there was this king who was king over Israel at the time. His name was Ahab. And Ahab, the word says, made God more angry than every other king, their person that came before him. Now, that's, that's a pretty notorious title. How he did that was he married this woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was from a different region. She had a different God. And though, although Israel was supposed to worship God, Yahweh, she set up temples and places for people to worship this God called Baal. And so it influenced because the king and the queen, you know, they kind of, the people kind of went along with whatever God they worshiped. So the king and the queen worship Baal. Everybody else kind of just falls in line. And they worship Baal as well. And so Elijah, being a prophet of God, He's had enough of this, and he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a God showdown. I want you to bring all your prophets together. Y'all build an altar here, and then I'm going to build an altar here. We'll call on our gods, and we'll see which one shows up. And so uh, the, the priest of Baal are all doing crazy stuff. They're cutting themselves. They're chanting. They're dancing around, doing all this stuff, asking their God to show up. Well, their God doesn't show up because just because it's spectacular, or it doesn't mean it's God, and they didn't serve the right God. And so then Elijah humbly says, I want you to, uh, or he calls on God, and he says, God, uh, show up. Show these people just who you are. Fire falls from heaven, 
It burns up the altar. It burns up the sacrifice. There was water around in trenches. It burned that up too, just to kind of prove a point almost. And Elijah at that point goes and he kills all these prophets of Baal. And after that, you would think he would feel like, man, I've, I've done great. I've won the victory. This is awesome. I don't have to worry about anything. But we'll see here as we pick this up in verse 1 of chapter 19. When Ahab had gone home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than the ancestors who have already died. And so you would question, like, why is he so down after such a huge moment, after such a mountaintop moment, after accomplishing so much? God shows up. The other God didn't. But I think just like, uh, just like we would, Elijah had unmet expectations. Because now here's somebody still trying to kill him. Here's somebody still trying to seek his life. God shows up in a miraculous way in which is undeniable, but there's still people who want to deny him. And then we kind of have the same expectations ourselves. We don't think that anybody should ever come across us or oppose us or anything else, even though we stand for something that's, that's countercultural. And so Elijah leaves with kind of these unmet expectations. And sometimes we're so afraid to lose what we have for his kingdom. And continuing on in verse 5, it says, And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him, and he said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. And there's something in here, there's a few things in here in this story that I want us to get out of today, and I think God was, was trying to say to him. And the first is this, and it's that he cares for our physical needs. He cares for our physical needs. Even though Elijah was dealing with all of this, God still, uh, he brought what he needed to continue his journey and what he needed to do. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Specifically, it was talking about food, drink, and clothing. And Elijah receives food, drink, and shelter as he's here on this mountain. But if we expect God to provide, we have to be willing to step out in faith. In Hebrews 4.15, it tells us, This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And this high priest is talking about Jesus. Have you ever had to explain a need that you had to somebody that just didn't understand? Maybe you uh, were talking to somebody in, in customer service. You call because your, your wireless router was down or something like that. And you call in and then the, the thing picks up and says, your call is very important to us. Well, why am I talking to this robot then? Obviously it's not. Or you would have answered the phone and a real person would have talked to me. But whatever, I'll play along. And so you just keep tapping zero until finally you get a hold of somebody. You hear somebody's voice and you say, hey, look, um, so this is what's going on. I'm not able to connect. The speed's really slow. Whatever it is. And you think, uh, you know, you think they kind of get it. But after a while, 
you realize they don't. They really don't understand what you need. They really don't understand what you're going through. And you say, look, okay, let me explain this one more time. Um, and then when you do and they finally understand, they say, well, let me transfer you to another department. And so then you've got to talk to this person. You've got to explain the situation all over again. Maybe they get it. Maybe they don't. Maybe you get transferred again. But you're on the phone for one to two hours before you finally say, look, I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to forget about it. I'm going to Google it. And uh, I'll figure it out that way. I don't need this anymore. But how many of you know it's not that way with God? For him, we got a direct line. For him, we can call on him. He cares about what we need. We have a high priest who empathizes with what we need. He walked this earth, flesh and blood, so he knows what we need. He knows what you need to get by. And anytime you think that God doesn't understand, God doesn't care, that's something you can cling to and say, he knows. He was there. He was there with me. He's there with me now. Because he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Even if it's not in your timing, even if it doesn't work out exactly the way you thought it was, God can provide and will provide your needs. 1 Kings 19, uh, 10 through 12. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And Jesus, or God replies, and he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And so the second thing uh, I think he wants to tell us is that he can speak to us in any situation. You may have a situation right now uh, that you think he can't deal with, he can't get to you about, he can't speak to you about, he, he, and you've taken that situation and you've made it bigger than your God is. Or you've let the voice of anxiety or depression or uh, just hopelessness speak to you and be louder to you than the voice of God is. And so we come in uh, with certain expectations and think that, um, you know, like I'm going, to, I'm going to church today or I'm going to this concert or I'm going to this convention and we expect God to just show up and speak exactly what we need at that moment. But as you know, it doesn't always work out that way. And so uh, right now, some of you are in that situation where you feel so far from God, you think your problem outweighs your purpose, that the noise surrounding you drowns out it's his ability to speak to you. But uh, there's something I find interesting in this, in, in this section, and it's that he, he saved the fire for last. And God passes by. There's a great windstorm. It's so great, it blows the rocks off of the mountain. And that's pretty powerful. That's a pretty powerful thing. And so we think sometimes in our human mind, if something like that happens, that has to be God. We even call it sometimes an act of God. And so at times... A natural disaster, something occurs, and we even blame that on God, but God's not even in it. And we blame him for something he's not even responsible for. And so there's the wind, and then there's the earthquake, and it shakes the earth, and another just great thing. And you think God has to be in this, but then God shows up in a fire. And here's Elijah who just had this mountaintop moment in which God showed up with fire, showed up in his faithfulness to show that he was God, and he's not even in that. And so because of that, God is shifting his expectations. And we have to shift our expectations because if we expect something he never told us we were going to get, we'll be waiting for him to give us something that we're never going to get and angry that we didn't get it. 
because sometimes we're waiting to hear from God and we trade what we need for what we want. And we think God is silent, but in reality, we weren't listening because he didn't say what we expected. And he, we have those expectations on him, and, and we think, well, God's not speaking, but where, is, where, where are you in this? And one, of those, one example would just be, you know, somebody's giving you a really difficult time, a really hard time. Coworker, kids, uh, spouse, my kids give me a hard time all the time. Not my spouse, she, at all, ever, never difficult. Um, so I'm not even looking over there. But uh, you had this person, and you pray to God, and you say, God, just change their heart. Make them better. You know, give them a love. Give them a peace. And we pray about them, and our expectations is for God to change them and say, oh, don't worry. You're doing such a great job. Thank you for being so faithful. I'll take care of that person for you. But instead, he turns around, and he says, what about you? He says, what about you? Are you not my change agent? Have I not called you to be salt and light? Have I not called you to make a difference, for you to be merciful, for you to show love? And you even tried inviting them to church. And then you think, well, I can't really do that because I kind of lost my cool on them the other day. And so I can't really invite them to church. And he says, no, because they need to know your flaw too. They need to know you're not perfect. It's the best way to introduce them to the one who is, and that is Jesus. And so we have to shift our expectations because he can speak to us in any situation, no matter what's going on, no matter what's come against us, no matter how loud everything else seems, he can speak to us in any situation. And then uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 13, it says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. I find this interesting because uh, when God first passes by, Elijah is out on the front of the mountain. And as all these great things happen, he's backing up. And it says now he's at the foot of the cave. And um, then he starts to walk out. He hears this gentle whisper, and he starts to walk out. And with that, he covers his face, which is weird because you would think with everything else going on, he'd already had his face covered. He'd already thought, you know, I need to do something to protect myself. And it says his cloak or his mantle, and the mantle would have been the most important piece of clothing that he had. And it would have been what he passed down to Elisha as a transfer of authority to say, now you're the prophet of God. You're the person I'm passing this down to. It's now your responsibility. It would have been what they ripped when people were grieving or where they were sad, when they were angry. When you see uh, in the word where it says they ripped their clothes, this would have been the mantle. And so Elijah walks out and he covers his face when he hears a gentle whisper. All of these great things happening, all of these things coming against him, he covers his face when all he hears is a whisper. It's kind of strange. But when you read in the Old Testament, there were times when people came in contact with God or encountered God. One of those was the Israelites. They were on and surrounded on a mountain, and God began to speak. And they said, look, God, please be quiet. We don't think we can live if you keep speaking. It's going to kill us. And then Moses is on a mountain. And he sees God, not even from the front, not even his face. He just sees him from the back, and his face just begins to glow in the glory of God because of the encounter that he had. And so Elijah, when he walks out and he covers his face, he's not waiting on something to happen. He's not waiting on things uh, to go wrong, right, or right. He's just expecting to hear from God. He's expecting to have an encounter from God. And he knows when he walks to the entrance of that cave, he's going to come in contact with God. And that is why he covers his face. And the expectation determines our proximity. And that's the third thing. The expectation determines our proximity. The more we expect, the closer we're going to get. 
The more we want to hear, the more we're going to be able to hear and receive. But we have to set up an atmosphere of expectation so that we can draw close to him. And here's what God had to say to him in verse 15. It says, the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel, the king of Aram. So he's going to anoint all these people to be leaders over all these areas. And in verse 18, it says, yes, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kiss him. And this is his promise to him. This is what he is to expect. He says, you were waiting. You were hiding. I was building. You were standing around. I had an army ready to come behind you. There's 7,000 others that I have held for you for this moment, even though you didn't see it. Even though you didn't know what was going on, I had all this working and going for you so that you could win, so that you could have the victory, so that you could move on from this place that you're in right now. Because I feel like sometimes, uh, you know, we don't really expect things. We don't, we don't set up an atmosphere of expectation. We just kind of stand around and we say, God, speak to me today in kind of a lazy way. And then two seconds later, it's like, never mind, fine, I'll just go on about my day. And, and that's it. And we say we're here, we want to hear from God, but the expectations is not really there. So we give up thinking he's not moving, thinking nothing's happening. But it takes that persistence, that persistence of expectation to know that God's moving and working, even if I don't see it, even if I don't know what's going on. I know he has what's best for me. I know he's building this up. I know he's moving people in directions to help me get where I need to be. And I want to hear from him. But it takes that expectation. And we try to make it so complex but really it's simple. As we read in James 4, 8, draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. That's really all there is to it. Draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. And so there's two ways in which God speaks that I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, this is not the only way, but it's definitely the checks and balances behind every other way that you might hear from him, whether it's through his creation, through other people, through a conference, whatever it might be. God can speak in those ways, but these are the two main ways. And the first one is through his word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. And the word simply is Jesus. It tells us in John 1 that in the beginning was the word, the word with God, the word was God, and then the word became flesh. And that's how he became our high priest. It sympathizes, empathizes with our need. And so as a church, we read one chapter a day in the New Testament. And you can do that through Relate One, or you can do that through the Relate Church app. And when we do that, we're not just doing it to check off a box. We're not just doing it to say, you know, post it on Facebook or Instagram and say, hey, I did this today. I'm so awesome. Okay, it's not that way. When we go in to his word, we go in with an atmosphere of expectation saying, God, speak to me today. Say what you want to say through your word today so that I can make a difference for you. Because it says it changes our lives. It, it tells us what is true. It makes us realize what we need to do right. And there's over 6,000 promises you can find in his word that you want to hear from God that you can hold on to and you can expect and be ready for. And it says that all of them are yes and amen. So if it doesn't line up with his word, then uh, you can't really expect it. But if 6,000 promises isn't enough for you, I, I can't help you. All right. So uh, the second way is by his spirit. John 16, 13, it tells us when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, 
but he will tell you what he has heard, what he has heard from God. He will tell you about the future. And that's that voice. That's that voice that Elijah heard. That's that gentle, still voice on the inside of us that guides us and lets us know what it is that we're supposed to do. What changes are we supposed to make? What is it that you want for me in my life? And we are led by his spirit. We know what to expect, that even though the situation might turn out like I think or like I would have done myself, I know that he has what's best for me in mind. And so that's what I'm going to seek. That's what I'm going to expect. Hearing from God, being guided by his spirit can be as simple as creating an atmosphere of expectation and expecting things of God by his spirit, by his word, and knowing that he is going to move and work in us and through other people and, and that we can make a difference in other people's lives. One of the things, um, one of the things in camp I saw, it was amazing, was it was a student. <laughs> I never would have thought this student would have done this. But during the last night, they call it the surrender encounter service. This is where, um, you know, they're really, they're really giving it their all. And this one particular student began to just walk around and pray over every other student that was around him, every other male student mainly that was around him, and, and just begin to encourage them and lift them up. And to see that, to see that shift, that change, because he was expecting something because he was ready for something. He knew something in that atmosphere could happen. Something in that atmosphere can make a difference. It's an atmosphere we can cultivate every day of our life. It's not something we gotta wait on. It's not something that, uh, that, that we have to go to any particular place because God is within you. If you have him, he's within you. And that atmosphere can be there no matter where you are. If you hold on to him, if you hold on to his promises. So you may have come in here expecting absolutely nothing. Somebody just drug you to church. Uh, you know, you may not even want it to, to be here, but I believe that God is speaking to you right now. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And uh, I just want to take this moment, pray. If everyone would, just bow their heads with me. God, I'm, I thank you that you speak to us. I thank you that you love us, Lord. I thank you that you have created ways in which we can know you better. And God, I just ask that you would just uh, bless every person in this room. Speak to them, God. And I believe that you're knocking on the door of certain people's hearts right now. Certain people who say, I'm so far from God. I'm, I don't feel like he's near me. I'm telling you right now, you draw close to him, he's going to draw close to you. He's good to his word. He's always good to his word. And maybe you're in here today and you say, I've never had a relationship with God. I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never been born again. There's eternal life this morning through Jesus Christ, and you can begin that today and have a new life with him and be accepted into God's family. And if you're in this room today, uh, I just want to pray for you and uh, ask you to, to lift your hand. So those of you in here who say, I've never been born again, and I want to be, I, I feel far from God right now, and I just want to recommit my life and make sure that I'm in right standing with him. Or third, you say, I'm not sure if I died today, if I'd go to heaven. If that's you right now, I'm going to count to three. If you'd raise your hand, we're going to pray for you. One, two, three. Anybody in here this morning? All right. Well, Father, we just ask you to, to work in each and every person in this place, God. I thank you for your word today. I thank you for everything that you're doing, for moving and working in us. 
I pray that we would just expect the things of you as we leave this place, that we would know that you are God and that you want to speak to us. We thank you for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give my whole heart and my whole life to Jesus. I don't want to play any more games. I want to commit my life to him. All right, good. All right, this one, let's, let's all, can, can all of you who are already believers and right with God, can you help these and let's all just pray this prayer out loud together and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I confess you as the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I will follow you. I will obey you. By your grace, I will live my life completely for you. I ask you to surround me with the right people that I may grow up and be effective in your kingdom. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. Amen. And the church, we ought to take the roof off this place. Let's give these a big hand clap. All right.